Bible, if you want to turn to Psalm 1, I'm just going to talk for a few minutes from this amazing psalm. And it says in Psalm 1 and verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do, prosperous. Who's that person? That person who through um, trusting and obeying, that person through meditating on the goodness and the, the truth about who God is, is like a tree planted. We have got in our garden some huge, I think they're oak trees, and they follow this pattern every year. So around February time, there's no leaves, and then suddenly the sun comes out and it's absolutely full of foliage. So right now it's green and huge trees. And then in the summer, the sun goes around the garden and these trees block the sun from 11 in the morning till two in the afternoon. And then in autumn, exactly the same pattern, the leaves wither, dry, go golden and drop on the floor. And then, you know, you've got bags and bags of leaves to pick up. So these trees are subject to seasons and these trees are subject to circumstances and these trees are subject to conditions. The psalmist is saying there's a type of person whose leaves never wither. And I think he's talking about the inter internal world of a person whose leaves don't dry, rot and drop, who bears fruit in season. There's a type of person who lives unmoved by seasons, circumstances and conditions. What do I mean by unmoved? I'm talking about the inner life of a person because we all know that believers go through the same seasons and circumstances as everyone else. And as believers, we are, many of us, being touched with the reality of grief and loss. And, you know, some of us are grieving the loss of maybe our plans. We had planned to do things and we're grieving the loss of plans. Some of us are being touched by the reality that we're grieving the loss of maybe our jobs. And there's people around us in our communities, in our families who have genuinely lost their jobs. Um, there's people who are grieving maybe even the loss of money you know incomes have gone down and they're not got the resources that they had and 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 i guess most significantly and most powerful is when we're grieving the loss of people and i don't know whether we haven't personally experienced that grieving of loss of people because of this but i'm sure in a group like this you'll know somebody or even someone very close who has experienced this virus and maybe um, lost their battle with it and the bible is really clear about it's important that we grieve our losses there's a whole book called lamentations about honestly grieving loss um, when david experienced the loss of jonathan and king saul he wrote a whole psalm of i'm grieving the loss when jesus approached 
Jerusalem, he wailed great tears because he's grieving what's happened to this people. Um, Jesus in Gethsemane, facing as the fully man, fully God person, is grieving the reality he's going to suffer excruciating pain. And there's something important about acknowledging pain, not burying pain, recognizing actually this season is a season where I'm experiencing some grief and loss. And I would encourage you to get hold of Patrick Mayfield's book, Soul Journaling. I've, I've personally found journaling my emotions, what am I feeling? And I've got a journal called um, Lockdown. It's got 41 entries and it's my journey of my emotions and what I'm experiencing as I'm going through this. I'm putting it on paper. I'm telling God how I really feel. Luther, I believe, said we need to know ourselves that we might know God. And I'm processing stuff on paper and grieving loss, expressing it to God and looking for the encounter with Holy Spirit's voice. Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4.8, that we can be perplexed. He says, you know, I'm perplexed. You know, there are things that we don't understand. It's okay for the believer to be confused, to not understand what's going on, to not have an answer, to not know the big picture, to be confused. But Paul then goes on to say, but I'm not in despair. Mm. I'm not in a place of complete loss of hope. I don't understand. I'm confused. I don't get it. What are you doing, God? I had plans. I had strategy. I had goals. There's so many things up in the air. I'm confused. But Paul says, you know, you don't have to go to complete despair. And in other words, we're a tree planted. We can be impacted by droughts and circumstances and things going on. And we can be confused and perplexed, but our inner leaf doesn't wither and we can bear fruit in season. And the thing is, I want to understand why are we not subject necessarily to this inner withering and decay and hopelessness and despair? And I love I love Spurgeon's book. Do you remember C. J. Charles Haddon Spurgeon from the 18th, 19th century, who lived through one of the amazing revivals in London, the cholera epidemic, I think, of the 1890s. Spurgeon suffered from a lot of serious sickness. He suffered from depression. He suffered from gout, a condition of the legs that caused him to have to stay in bed for weeks at a time. He was bedridden. And from his bed, he wrote this little pamphlet, um, called uh, for the tabernacle chapel a commentary on the psalms so from his bed he wrote a commentary on the psalms and 130 years later you can still buy all those commentates com comments on the psalms called the treasury of david and so his bet from his bed um charles haddon spurgeon said about this psalm and he said first of all he I would love to be able to do a really great impression of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I'm sure he would sound like this. You're a tree planted. You're a tree planted, he would say. In other words, you're a chosen tree. Planted is a wanted tree. You're not a wild tree that's just accidentally grown up by the river. You're a planted tree. You're a wanted tree. You're a placed tree. You're a tree that's not going to be uprooted 
And then Spurgeon says, I want to draw your attention to the word streams. And he says, it's multiple streams. It's multiple streams. It's not just one stream that's subject to drought and changes in circumstances. It's multiple streams. So right now, one of the streams that we absolutely have always loved is the stream of meeting together, worshipping together, the church gathered together, encountering God together, a corporate body together. And at the moment, that's changed. And it's like that stream for a season has dried up. It's going to come back. It's going to come back and it's going to come back stronger. It's going to be different. It might be a different type of stream even, but it may have it's dried up for the moment. But Spurgeon reminds us that we have streams. We've got streams where we can draw on the promises of God, the prophetic wisdom of God, the prophetic words that he's given us, streams of scripture that we can meditate on scripture. There's gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues, stir up that gift, edify yourself, strengthen yourself. And of course, the greatest stream is the friend the paraclete, Holy Spirit, the one who's in Whoa. us, the one who's leading us into all truth, the one who can't dry up, the one who's in union with us, right in us, with the temple of the Holy Spirit, That's is right. with us in all seasons, circumstances and situations. We have such an advantage because we've got this inner world in us. I want to read you from a contemporary book called the sun does shine and it's the true story of a black man in alabama who was accused of double murder now this man anthony ray hinton had an alibi he was at work when the shooting happened this is a travesty of justice he later gets proven innocent but he goes to prison on death row for 30 years. I mean, 30 years. He spent 30 years in a cell that was 2.2 meters wide. And, and I'm not very good at math. That's that. And 1.5 meters, whatever that is, is tiny cell. It's big enough to put a bed, a toilet and a sink. And he's there for 30 years. He goes to this hearing where he's really, it's where he's going to be sentenced. They found him guilty. The evidence was, was, was not satisfactory. There's a lot of injustice. And he gets an opportunity to address the judge because they're sentencing him either to life imprisonment without parole or they're sentencing him to the electric chair. I don't know about you. If I'm about to face the electric chair and there's been this injustice, unfairness, awful situation. I'm angry. I don't have much good to I want to say. But listen to this guy. He just blew me away when I read it. I thought, this is incredible. And I can't do an Alabama accent. I really can't. You know, I wish I could try. You but try. I should try, but I don't even know if I can. <laughs> this is what this man says to the judge on his sentencing might sound crazy but I got joy even with leg irons on me the joy I got 
the world didn't give me and the world can't take it away. That's a fact, Your Honour. I thank you for letting me have my say, Mr. McGregor. I think that's the judge. I'm praying for you real hard. Ever since I seen you, you've been constantly in my prayers and I'm gonna continue to pray for you. Wherever they send me, God can hear my prayers. Now, what would make me really worried is if you could isolate me from God. But you can't do that. You took my family from me, but you can't take God from me. Now this guy, he gets sentenced. He gets sentenced to death and goes on to death row into this tiny cell. I, I drew out the dimensions of this cell in our garden and I was reading the book while sitting within the dimensions because I, I just can't figure spaces in my head. This tiny cell. <laughs> Now this, I want to read you this, this is now 16 years later. This guy saw 52 people walk past his cell to be executed. And in the preface to the book, his attorney who represents him meets this man 16 years later. This is not two months later, this is 16 years of isolating, living in a tiny box. And this is what he says when he goes to meet Mr. Hinton. He says of Mr. Hinton, Mr. Hinton learned to engage those around me and create an identity on death row unlike anything I've seen. Not only did he shape the lives of dozens of other death row prisoners, but also of those of correctional officers who sought Mr. Hinton's advice and counsel on everything from marriage and faith to struggles of day-to-day -day life. Such is the extraordinary power of Ray Hinton and his remarkable spirit. He understood something, that he was a tree planted by streams of water. Now, this man grieved loss and pain. He didn't speak a word for the first three years of his sentence. But then he began again to tap into that sustaining power from another world. He had a source from another world, that his leaves were always green and he bore fruit in season, even in prison. We have a source, we are planted by streams of water. I wanna wrap up by talking about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, they say, wrote the book of Philippians from house arrest, interesting. He wrote the book while in house arrest for two years. And Paul could say, look, if I go on living in the body, if I go on living, if I don't go to be with Christ, if I stay in this situation of house arrest, if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. You could take Paul out of his, his freedom for apostolic advance. You could place him in home arrest. You could place him in prison. And he would say this, I expect, I anticipate, I'm confident, I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to be fruitful. I can stay here and I'm going to be fruitful. And we can say as believers, fruitfulness, leaves being green, is an inevitable reality of the fact we've got joy 
from another world. We've got joy because we're planted by streams of water. So I would just say right now, this is a time to say to Jesus, you know what, I'm passionately going to abide. You know what, I'm planted by streams of water and my roots are going down into a rich stream all the time. I'm going to keep remaining, Jesus. I'm going to keep walking by the Spirit, Jesus. I'm going to keep actively drawing through delight, through obedience, and by faith. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't grow weary in doing good. At the right time, you will reap. That's the promise of God to us. You're a tree planted by streams of water. At the right time, you will reap. God often does his best work in secret and suddenly reveals it.